the blue line, leaves it, Kale McCarr, winds, fires, SCORE! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net, what a save made by Philip Grubauer, just outstanding stuff, I am Grubauer! And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I am your host, of course, JJ Jerez. With me today is the Mile High Sports Denver Broncos writer, Arif Dean. Arif, how's it going today? I am just dying over here waiting for hockey to come around because that's what I'm resorting to now, writing about the Broncos and Drew Locke and... You know how hard it is to go through years of writing about a depressing avalanche team to finally have a good team and then have to switch to the Broncos because there's no hockey? Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, especially considering it's, uh, you know, I know you're a hockey guy and football is maybe something you follow, but not something you know, you know, and, and you know the kind of the ins and outs of hockey where hockey writing has got to come a lot easier to you. So now that you're covering some Broncos, it's got to be tough. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I didn't realize that I was a total nerd about in the sport of hockey because I'm constantly on Wikipedia, constantly checking. Like, I'm trying to find the NFL version of, like, elite prospects and where to look at stats. Like, it took me 45 minutes the other day to find a website that has first-half statistics. Like, what did Drew Locke do in the first half against the Falcons? It took me forever to find a website like that. I'm like, why is this so difficult? So I started using my friends to fact-check because they're bigger football guys. Let the horror no, end. <laughs> I think we're definitely uh, spoiled as hockey fans in that sense. I think we get a lot of breakdowns and a lot of analytics that other sports don't necessarily have just yet, like the kind of the ones you mentioned. Yeah. And even like, you know, you look at cap friendly, I feel like not, uh, other sports don't have such a fine-tuned a way to man to keep an eye on salaries. This is why I've always I've always believed this, and it's why the NHL struggles financially with building a fan base is because the idea of a fair weather fan is a lot more prevalent and common in, in the NFL and the NBA than it is in the NHL. Because in the NFL, you could just be a guy that plays fantasy football or likes to throw some money on the Dolphins or the Broncos or whatever you know it may be on a Sunday. In hockey. The fans that are truly fans, we're nerds, man. We care about the numbers, the caps, the contracts. We care about all these things that other sports truly don't give a crap about. Yeah, I mean, we saw that with our last podcast, right? We kind of got roasted. We don't usually get roasted. I, I guess I got roasted more than more so than we, but we're a team here, Arif, so we, we got roasted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that kind of was a product of us kind of having to stretch outside our comfort zone trying to fill uh, some more podcast time when there's not much NHL going on, and I start talking about Eustace Ann and then out my ass, and I get it wrong, and I uh, rightfully get burned on on Twitter for it. The, the the funny thing is, you mentioned Eustace Annanen and having him, you know, hopefully him being excited for the World Juniors. And I had his page pulled up on Elite Prospects or the NHL.com page. And I was like, yeah, you know, he's born in March 2000. He's 20 years old. And it didn't click in my head that I just said he was 20 years old. And the, the World Juniors is obviously a U-20 tournament. But you know what? It's It was like November 7 or 8. We yeah. haven't had hockey in forever. Not I'm to dying not here, to man. bore anyone, but let me let me explain my thought process here when this all went down. <laughs> that podcast we recorded right after an episode, a live recording of the hockey show with Ryan Bolding this and myself. True. Right, this is true. On that episode, I kind of dropped the same line, and I kind of was a little bit more hesitant about it because of that reason. I wasn't sure the fact that he's already twenty years old if he would be able to play in the next one. So with Ryan. I kind of said more of a, I'm not sure if he's even allowed to play anymore, but it would be really cool type of thing. And Ryan didn't really know one way or another, so he just kind of went the other way. I wish I would have handled it that way on our podcast because I just kind of a little, since I never got a reaction out of Ryan, I kind of got a little bit more confident for the next recording, right? And just kind of threw yeah. it out there like he's it playing. And it I was thrown. reading, hold on, I'm not, I, I was reading your <laughs> reaction too, Arif. And you were, you were looking at me like I was saying the right thing, and so I just kept going with it. To be honest with you, one of the things that is fascinating to me is the fact that Annan is 20 years old. We keep talking about this kid. 
you know, and he just recently became a huge topic over the last 12 months. And I've forgotten how long ago he's been drafted. And I've forgotten that by the time the season is underway, well, his birthday's in March, so the season will be underway in January. But during the season, he's going to turn 21. And like, that's kind of what boggles my mind now looking back at that episode is the fact that Ananin is not by any means a young prospect anymore. I mean, the Avalanche acquired Varlamov when he was 21, and he was playing 50, 60 games a year already for the Avs. And before that, in Washington, he had a playoff run as a 19-year-old. So this kid is no longer a prospect. If he's if he's going to be the thing, he's gonna it's it's going to happen very soon. So I guess that sort of escaped my mind was the fact that I didn't realize just how long this guy's been around. Because let's face it, the Avalanche never developed goaltender, so it's it's going to be a different feel. It's kind of like Kale McCarr, where they finally developed defensemen. I think it's. I think things are looking up. I'm still hesitant to completely buy into the Eustace Ananin, but I think you know. I yeah. think he's 75 percent gonna be the guy. Um, one last I know, thing. I know oh. we're. Yeah, I, I know we're a little off topic, but it's 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 the off season. It's November, and we don't know when the hell hockey's coming back. But remember, Sammy Ito Kalio. Ida Kalio, I do. Yeah, Ida Kalio. Well. That was a that was a big deal at the time, and he was gonna be the next big thing, and then. He left the game because he was dehydrated, I remember, against the LA Kings, and then suddenly he was in Finland, and that was that. <laughs> yep, he said, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to get to before we really get into the brunt of the podcast is, you know, we also offended a little uh, group of our audience, I guess, with our political conversation as well. This is why I don't like to talk politics, so let, let me just start by apologizing to anybody I, I offended or we offended, and let's just move on. Let's remember not to talk politics for the next uh, presidential election, I guess. <laughs> Sounds good to me. We'll, we'll be doing this in four years, so let's let's see what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's get to it. There's uh, co- conversations to be had about the NHL right now. Like you said, we're all just waiting with bated breath on the NHL's decision to start the next season. They still are feeding us that it's a, a January 1st start date. Obviously, that has to be announced Right now, but the big thing, right? It, I guess the biggest topic on hand is just the step backwards that it seems to have taken when when the conversation suddenly became a renegotiation of the CBA. So, I guess what's your take? It, it really seems like it was a bomb dropped on the players. Do you think it's fair to the players? What What do you see in out of the, all that? It's absolutely not fair, and I'll say that for two reasons. Um, I'm not always going to be the guy that sides with the players. You know, this isn't a podcast with with Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonnette where, you know, we're former players and always going to side with the players because we were once that. Like, that's not who I am. Uh, So I'm not always going to side with the players. But I do on this point for two reasons. Number one, this conversation was had in July. And in July, there was no expectation that the 2021 season was going to start with fans. The 2021 season was going to start as normal and it was going to be back to normal. We knew back in June, July, when this was all going on, the return to play for the playoffs was happening, that the next season was going to be funky as well. So owners had 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 that in mind already when they created the original return to play with that 20% escrow and the 10% salary deferral and the flat cap and all this craziness. They already knew next season is a wash. We're going to lose money. Maybe they they, they undervalued just how much money they're going to lose next season, um, but they already knew. And the second reason why I'm 100% on board with the playoffs is because, or with the players, is because let's look at this from the other side. Let's pretend that over these last three months, miraculously, there was a vaccine and the entire world got a vaccine and things were normal. And the NHL could start their season on December 1st, like they had originally wanted to in that late November, early December phase. Let's pretend they could have started December 1st with Pepsi, well, Ball Arena fans and everybody back to normal. Imagine at that point, the players went back to the owners and said, hey, this isn't as bad as we thought it was. Let's renegotiate and give us back something that we gave you because we planned for a lot worse and hoped for the best. And the owners will be like, "Uh, absolutely not. You guys agreed to it. You signed for it. We're going to go ahead and take that as a win because we lost money last March. So what gives the owners the rights to say, hey, this is worse than we thought. We need to take more from you. If it was the other way around and the players came back to the table and said, this is better, give us some more, the owners would have laughed in their face. Because of that, I absolutely side with the players here. It is a bombshell. But with that being said, the players are going to be the ones to concede like they always do. They're going to give more back and hockey's going to come back. I just don't agree that they should. 
I'm with you. I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of organizations' financials. So I think to our perspective, it seems really scummy from the NHL. However, you know, I, I do understand that they hoped that things would be a lot better by now, and they're just simply not. I mean, there's a very good chance. I mean, but how much better? Things are getting a lot worse, and I don't think they anticipated things to be getting worse in society when they're trying to get this new season started, and it doesn't even look like they're going to be able to at any point have fans in the, in the stands with the way things have been going those last couple weeks. But, but like, what has – what at this point, this point in time has been off the trajectory of what we expected? All we talked about since April was the second wave when the winter starts. The winter hasn't started yet. The second wave is happening. More lockdowns, more COVID cases, just like Dr. Anthony Fauci has been saying since April, just like everybody's expected. Like, what to the owners has changed? By the time April and May come around, they probably will be able to have some sort of fans like was the plan all along. I just don't get this idea. Maybe they didn't think their pockets were going to be this affected. I don't know. But like what has changed is is the part that I'm not seeing from, from July. Maybe they just didn't really analyze it as in depth as they should have, at least looking forward Probably, at the time. Yeah. Because all they were focused on was how are we going to get this season finished? How are we going to get these playoffs going? And in doing so, they kind of failed to really dive into the numbers looking further ahead. Because I yeah. get your point. You're right. It, it was supposed to be shitty throughout. It wasn't supposed to be 100% better by now. Um, so they, they had to have foreseen problems at this point and that's the thing yeah and that's the thing like I, I i understand it from the owner's standpoint but when you're when you're an owner and you need to think about a player you need to think about the sacrifices they made to make that return to play playoff thing happen because the players did not want to come back and play that was something that we knew back then you know obviously players at home are sitting there talking about man i want to come back and win the stanley cup because our team is a b or c this year we're the penguins we're the avalanche well the penguins crapped out but you know we're the penguins we're the avalanche we're the lightning we're the golden knights but in the grand scheme of things the nhlpa as a whole the general voice they did not want to come back for that they did they made the sacrifices they did this crazy ass bubble thing that even to this day you talk to anybody you talk to rick bonus and he's like i'm not gonna remember a single thing from that stupid bubble i'm not gonna remember a single good memory and that's the coach of the team that made it to the stanley cup final so they the players sacrificed a lot and then they came back and they agreed to a maximum 20 percent uh uh escrow they which is money they're never going to see so they're going to give away 20% escrow. They're going to give us 10% salary deferral, which they might see in three to five business years or God knows what, like it may or may not come. Uh, it's, it's not something that they're expecting to see anytime soon. They agreed to a flat salary cap, which, you know, might not sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal to players because now you have guys like Tyson Berry that had to take pay cuts because of, of the salary. Uh, you had guys like Matt Nieto and Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and, and Jason Spezza signed league minimum contracts. And there was a lot of other guys that did it too, which otherwise should not have. I mean, in January, we were talking about Matt Nieto pricing himself out of the avalanche by being a $2.5 million player. The guy took league minimum to go back to San Jose. And then on top of that, you have guys like Mike Hoffman and Travis Hamanick and Andreas Athanasiu and all these guys still as free agents with nowhere to go because nobody has salary cap. And then there's RFAs like Barzal and Sorelli and Chernak and all these guys that haven't signed. Con Moral of the story, the players gave up a lot. So whether the owners undervalued just how serious this was going to be, they need to understand coming back and asking the players to give back more cannot happen without giving them something in return. They already played the Olympics card. What can you give the players now? Is it an expanded playoff format? Is it bigger signing bonuses? Is it longer term deals? What is it? Is it is it you know going away with the, the the rookie deals? What is it that you can give back to the players? Because the expectation of just having the players give something back without anything in return after already signing on the dotted line is is mind boggling. So if you're the NHL. And from their standpoint, what do you give them? What do you offer them? Because none of those things that you just mentioned sound too enticing. I mean, I like I understand the uh, the playoffs, the extended playoffs, because it does add a little bit of more revenue. I can't imagine it makes that big of an impact, though. So, what can the NHL possibly do to sweeten it to make the NHL players say, "Yeah, we're on board for making less money that we were promised"? Honestly, the only thing I could think of is the playoff thing. 
and it might not seem like a big deal, but it could be a big deal in many ways. Number one, it pads player statistics. It brings in more revenue. It gives you a better chance of hitting bonuses. A lot of players have bonuses that that you know that that happen when you make the playoffs. So making the playoffs, and I do that with air quotations, is what happened last year when those twelve teams made it, but then only eight of those 12 ended up going to the actual traditional 16-team playoffs. It was still a playoff series for teams like Pittsburgh and, and Edmonton that crapped out in that playing round. But look at Chicago. I mean, Chicago made it in. They made it out of that first round and still decided that it was a rebuild time, right? So making that round of playoffs isn't that big of a deal, I think, to the players because they see, you know, just because you make it to the top 20 of the league doesn't, ma- doesn't mean you're actually a contender. Well, it's I'm I'm thinking of it from a financial standpoint. The what it can do for revenue, what it can do for for personal revenue in terms of players' bonuses and things like that, and padding their statistics for a future. Uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but maybe a player that had a great playoff series. I mean, the Blackhawks did have a great playoff series. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves had a lot of points. Saad not as much, but a lot of these guys had a lot of points that otherwise would have never happened if they never got that opportunity to play in that series in general. Um, so, you know, it's not that Sod and Taves or Taves and Kane sign new contracts this summer, but that's something that you can take into account is someone could end up having a playoff series that they otherwise would not have had. And Yeah, look uh, at the that, Canadians. Yeah, exactly. The Canadians sort of came out of that playoff series feeling a hell of a lot better than they did going into the, the, the pause in March. Uh, and they came out of it, you know, all you know swinging for the fences they knew that Carey price still had it they knew shea weber still had it which they both did and they said hey you know what we're not as far off as we thought we 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 beat pittsburgh we gave philly an actual honest to god run and then they went out and added added josh anderson and they added tyler Toffoli, and they added joel edmondson they added jake allen to give Carey price some more help so these things really help from that point of view. They help from a personal standpoint if you have bonuses that are affected by making the playoffs. And then it helps with revenue. Having these kinds of playoff series, I mean, in a bubble, it doesn't really matter. But when you add 70, 80 playoff games, or you know, maybe that number, I'm just shooting it out of my ass. You have, what, eight series times five games. So if you add 30 to 40 games, potentially maximum of best of five series uh, to every playoff year, if they choose to do that same format, that's a lot of revenue that suddenly goes into HRR that suddenly brings the salary cap up. So maybe that's the thing that players ask for. Uh, Fans might not like it, but maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's bigger, different kind of contract structures. I don't know. There's a lot of things that, you know, the big one was the Olympic card and they've already played that one. So I'm, I'm out of ideas, but I'm sure the players have a shit ton of things that they're thinking of like, Hey, give us this. You treat us like crap. So, I mean, you're typically pretty, a hope, a pretty hopeful guy and, Everything is sparkles and rainbows in your world. Do you think that this gets figured out in time? I mean, I'm definitely of the belief that it gets figured out, but we are on a time crunch here. We got to start pretty soon if they're looking for that January 1st. And of course, like we've mentioned in past podcasts, they kind of have a loose end date that they need to hit. Yeah. Uh, My end time date is January 15th. I truly believe the season will start by January 15. I mean, even without this, you know, sudden bombshell that came out of nowhere, Larry Brooks was the one that originally uh, reported it. Elliot Friedman obviously jumped on it, as he always does. Chris Johnson jumped on it. Um, before this story hit, it was still going to be a little bit hard to have that January 1st date happen because you need two weeks of training camp, potentially a third week for those teams that. You know, we're not a part of the return to play last year, the seven teams, the Buffaloes and San Jose's and Detroit's and so be it, uh, which brings you to like 10 days from today. And this is in the middle of a holiday season and Christmas. And I know teams have, and players have been spending the last nine months with their families. Um, but to start a hockey season and say, hey, five days before Christmas, leave your families and the players are just going to be like, OK, can we just get another week? Like, let's let us finish the holidays and then we'll be there for training camp kind of thing. So. Maybe that's what ends up happening. Uh, And then there's the fact that you have to get players that are in America or in Europe that have to go to their Canadian teams. You have to get them there to observe a 14-day quarantine, assuming that they have to follow that. And I think there's some sort of – I remember reading that Canada has like certain restrictions for uh, professional athletes. So maybe they don't have to observe it the same way that a regular Joe Schmo guy like I would. Uh, But that's another thing is getting players to their cities, observing some sort of quarantine if necessary before starting a training camp. So more of the story, I think training camp starts around that December 20 to 30 phase. And I think the season takes off January 15. And that's skipping over entirely over 
uh, a preseason, which is going to be a little scary because we're seeing what it's doing to the NFL. I like your point there about the Christmas season and the holidays. I mean, this is usually a league that's very observant and very, I guess, player friendly when it comes to being around the holidays. So I think it would be really out of character for the NHL to demand something like that. But desperate times call for desperate measures, I guess. And and you don't really have much else of an option. You're going to have to have these players doing their training camps right yeah. right on christmas day even yeah i mean the, the idea is to have the season start let's say by january 10 and do a 60 game regular season over four to four and a half months so february march april you're looking at a may 20 to may 30 end to the regular season and then another seven weeks on top of that of playoffs which brings you to right around july 15 which would be that cutoff date before the Olympics begins. I do remember hearing Elliot Friedman said something about, you know, don't be married to that July 15 date because the NHL could very well start to, and I think I've said this on a past podcast, they could start to negotiate with things like ESPN or or with other networks to take over the playoffs after July 15 when the Olympics begin on NBC because that's the end of the NHL's contract with NBC is July 15. So, but, you know, let's go by the fact that if the NHL wants to be done by July 15, it's possible. If you start by January 10, you have a four-month regular season of 60 games, four to four and a half months. So you're looking at 13 to 15 games in every 30-day increment. No all-star break, nothing like that. You finish, then you have, if they just did the return to play playoffs in eight weeks, and that was with... Uh, the play-in round, if you just have a traditional 16-team playoffs, you know, assuming everything we just talked about with the expanded playoffs doesn't happen, if you just have a traditional 16-team playoffs, that'll be over in seven weeks, maybe six. So you start the playoffs by May 20, June, July 20, July 15, you should be done by then. And that's why I think there's so much writing on this next TV deal. I mean, I think the negotiations for that have to hit it out of the park to kind of rebound from this mess that's going on this year. And you got to not only hit it out of the park in terms of the amount of money, but I think you also have to find a way to kind of restructure the schedule and restructure the season to kind of give avid hockey fans more hockey when otherwise they wouldn't be watching it, right? That's kind of what made the the first preliminary round of the playoffs so successful is that we had hockey on all day long and you didn't have to miss any games whatsoever. You could just sit there and consume a whole day of hockey and if they do things like that I think that's a really good creative way to adjust to all this and rebound a little bit quicker yeah and that that is the exact reason why I still to this day think the NHL is going to have multiple networks uh, sign contracts with multiple networks it's going to maximize their value instead of signing one big pie with NBC again, they're going to sign, you know, maybe 60% of that with ESPN and another 60% of that with NBC because they want to remain on NBC. But then you have uh, other outlets. I mean, the NBA has their TNT and they have their ESPN. The NFL has a different network for Sunday night football than they do for Monday night football and for Thursday night football. So I think the scheduling of the NHL is going to change and multiple networks is what's going to help with that. You're going to have day games. You're going to have Travel is going to be a lot different. This idea of the Avalanche flying and playing, let's say, Edmonton for one game and then coming back home and then going back and playing Winnipeg and Vancouver and then two months later going back and playing Winnipeg, Vancouver and Calgary, that's not going to happen anymore. I truly believe the NHL is going to sort of have a restructure of how they play their games. Uh, If you go to Detroit, you're going to go to Columbus and Chicago and uh, whatever the hell's around there, Buffalo maybe. And then you're going to come home. If you go to Toronto, you're going to go to Montreal. You're going to go to Ottawa. And I know these things usually happen, but it's going to happen a lot more. If you go to Vegas, maybe you play Vegas twice in three nights, which, holy shit, imagine being in Vegas for four nights. By that second game, everyone's going to be done. But uh, I think that's going to be the new way the NHL scheduled. And because of that, you're going to have day games. You're going to have afternoon games. You're going to have night games. And multiple networks will be able to help with that. I mean, you can't expect ESPN to give you an 8 o'clock game on a Sunday. But I think they'll be down to give you a noon and a 3 p.m. every Sunday and a noon and a 3 p.m. every Saturday. So the networks that can can fill those slots are the networks where the NHL is going to be able to hit it out of the park. I am fully expecting Gary Bettman to do all of that. And I'm fully expecting... I'm fully expecting that he's already considering this and talking about this and planning for this. Uh, What was once a TV deal that was going to hit the NHL up to like a 90 to 95 million salary cap is now going to be a TV deal to to dig them out of the hole that is the pandemic, which is fine. Uh, It's great that they have something like that and the Seattle expansion to look forward to. Uh, 
it's just going to do a different thing. And I think it's there's a lot more pressure now to really truly hit this out of the park, like you said. One quick thing before we move on, I noticed the way you say dates. It's it's kind of funny. Say say a date. Well, uh, was it a year or a month? Uh, just a, yeah, a month. November, December, January. But the way you say dates, you're like January 10, July 15. Oh, July 15. Oh yeah, I don't say the the. the yeah, January why is that? Is that a Canadian <laughs> thing? Because like I, I've noticed, you know, we call ninth grade, eighth grade. They call it grade eight, grade nine, grade, grade eight, 10. grade nine. I usually when I'm when I'm giving dates until I get to the twenties, I just say the number. January twenty, January eighteen, January fourteen, January twelve, and then when I get to the twenties, I'm not going to say January twenty seventh. I'll say the twenty seventh or the twenty third. It's just a weird thing. Maybe it's because it rolls off the tongue quicker to not say th, and I already have a lisp, so I'm like, dun, 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 and like I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. It just it helps me talk fast, which is something that I do a lot of already. Right, so, sorry to derail us. It's not efficient speak. It's okay. It's we have no it's hockey. not like it's me. Exactly. It's an off season thing. But sticking to the CBA conversation here and how it impacts the avalanche. Let's look at different players within the avalanche that are maybe impacted most. Who do you think is maybe either wins or the biggest losers from the avalanche out of this new CBA negotiation? We got to start from the top, and I know he's the richest of the bunch, but man, you got to feel for Miko Rantanen. It was such a big deal when he signed a contract that for the first two years of the contract were $12 million in actual salary, which is the most ever the Avalanche have ever paid a player for a one season. And then last season in March, that sort of got sh- shot to hell. Granted, they did eventually get paid later. And now this season, he's going to lose 20% of that automatically to escrow. He's never going to see that money ever again. He's going to lose 20% of that $2 million. On top of that, he has to defer some, which he'll see later. It sucks for him. It sucks for the guys that have those contracts where this year they're getting paid more than their AAV, which for Rantanen is the case. It's $12 million with a 9.2 AAV. I bet you whatever it is that he's making in those later years, five, six, seven, I don't remember. I bet you he wishes he can f- flip that with the 12 this year. Um, but yeah, he's he's one to think of right off the bat. Yeah, I also think any older player across the league is going to be impacted poorly by this because they're approaching the end of their career and they're kind of getting gypped you know, as yeah. they kind of wind things down. So that's why Ian Cole comes to mind as probably somebody who's going to suffer whether that contract – uh, that comes next is with the Avalanche or not, I think it's going to be a lot lower than he anticipated. If Tyson Berry just got 3.2 and, and TJ Brody just got 5 million, Ian Cole at this age is not going to get another 4.1. Uh, he might not even get 1.5 on his next deal considering the cap and what's happened to it. Um, but this is a player that, you know, had things remain normal and this pandemic never happened and last season ended as normal and this season ends as normal. He could have probably gotten like a two-year, $6 million deal somewhere. Like that Trevor Daly deal in Detroit after his time with the Penguins. Obviously, he won the Cup, which Ian Cole will do this year too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be affected. I, I think that's a good example. Another one for me are, are guys like Tyson Jost, Matt Nieto in San Jose. The guys who aren't making a lot of money. So, you know, Joe Thornton makes league minimum, but he's made about a bajillion dollars in his career. He's going to be okay. So is Jason Spezza. So is Patrick Marlowe. When you look at a guy like Matt Nieto, who has been living off of a 1.8, I think, million. No, that's Belmar. I think he was a little less than 1.8. But he was living off of 1.6 or whatever million dollars. Um, takes a pay cut to 700000 Now that 700000 if you're going to have a 20% escrow, money you're never going to see again, that brings you to 80% of that. Uh, and then you're going to have a 10% deferral plus the 13% deferral that the t- that the players are asking for or that the, the owners are asking the players for right now that's a total of 46 percent just to bring you down to what your gross is going to be and then you get taxed california style of his seven hundred thousand, matt nieto might take home 150 to 250 grand which is still a lot of money and i understand that completely but if you've been living a 1.5 1.6 million dollar lifestyle and suddenly you're living a two hundred fifty thousand dollar lifestyle that's a little bit worrying for for worrisome for a player that suddenly has to you know start to save if he doesn't have because not you know the the reality is and i know it sounds crazy because of the amount of money they make but not every nhl player is set up financially for the rest of their lives not every every nhl player has a massive savings account and not every nhl player can afford to not work for an entire year uh we're going to learn a lot about which player well we probably won't learn about it but there's a lot of players right now that are worried about what their salary is going to be this year and the kind of budget cuts they're going to have to make to their everyday lives. 
Yeah, it's crazy when you put it that way. The guys that are making league minimum are getting really screwed, especially in high tax areas. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, you look at Miko Rantanen, he might be still walking away with eight, nine grand or eight, nine million, where, you know, the way you just broke down the Madnieto numbers is kind of sad and frustrating yeah. when you look across at the NBA, right? And you see guys like Donovan Mitchell signing $196 million. The five NBA. Years. I love the NBA. Not only okay, so the NBA announced their schedule that they're gonna start December twenty second. They're gonna play I forget how many games, seventy two I wanna say. They announced the first half of the schedule and then get this, an all star break. <laughs> and there's gonna be an all star game, and then they're gonna announce the second half of their schedule. On top of that, they've or they've started free agency. The players are getting their silly season money as normal. The NBA doesn't have a care in the world about the pandemic. And I don't mean it the same way the NFL did. The NFL did it in a very stupid, ignorant way where they're just, you know, pretended they were invincible and, and the pandemic can't affect them. The NBA looks at the pandemic and says, yeah, you're real. Yeah, we're going to play with no fans. We're going to play in a, in a banquet hall under a hotel at Disney. We're going to create this like NBA street thing. But despite all of that, we're still the NBA. We have a lot of money, and we don't give two shits about what you're going to do to us financially. It's just mind-boggling to see the differences between how the NBA is operating right now and the NHL, where everybody's just like pulling on those wallet strings. Yeah, it's tough. It really shows the difference in popularity, I guess. Um, so yeah, sticking with the avalanche, uh, you know, like we're saying, there's going to be less money anticipated and kind of different moves that are going to be have to have to that are going to have to be made. Uh, moving forward so we looked at the players let's look from Joe Sackick's point of view does he if at all have to make any changes to the way he's about to approach you know he's got some contracts he's got coming up um, you know obviously there's going to be free agency and offseason moves next season does he have to adjust at all how he's playing his cards yeah absolutely and it's not even just a salary cap point of view it's uh the amount of money that goes out. It's its its the same thing that everybody did this summer. It's the reason why owners want deferral. It's to say, hey, for the next two, three years, we're going to make a little bit of money. Let's pay the players a little bit of money. And then in future years, we're making a lot of money. We'll balance it out by paying players a lot of money. So uh, we spoke about this a few weeks ago when I wrote about it. Kel McCarr's contract is going to be a lot more backloaded than it is front-loaded. Uh, so it's going to be the anti-Miko Ranton and Gabe Landeskog likely the same thing. Like I could see a I could see a deal with Landeskog. You know, if we're talking a six point five million AAV similar to that Brendan Gallagher contract, I could see a deal where Landeskog says, or where Joe goes to uh, to Gabe and says, "We'll give you three and a half in year one, and then in year three you can make ten million. And Gabe going, "Okay, you know what? I'll take one for the team for now." Uh, so it's it's going to be a thing that you see a lot more. Petrangelo's contract was built like that. A lot of the players that signed big deals, and it's gonna be no different for the Avalanche. Um, expect it with Landeskog. Expect it with Makar. And I'm gonna say, would their starting goalie be at Grubauer or someone else on the market or a trade acquisition? Uh, expect it with somebody that they give a contract to uh, after this season. It's just unfortunate because I feel like Joe had plans, right? He had a, a plan on how to continue to be aggressive and continue to wheel and deal. And all this might have put a halt and all that. And now he kind of has to readjust and, and kind of uh, come up with a completely new strategy and game plan. Yeah, but you know what? I'm what I'm very much both excited and or both uh, yeah excited and relieved about is the fact that, you know, maybe Joe did have to call an audible. Maybe he had to do things differently. Because granted, you know, the Avalanche are, are maxed out with the cap right now. They have $1.8 in cap salary, and that's with a 20-man roster. That's with your 18 skaters, your 12 forwards, your 6 defensemen, and your 2 goaltenders. Then when you add forward number 13, which likely is Logan O'Connor, that's another 725 k I believe. And then you add defenseman number 7, which is likely Dennis Gilbert, that's another $900,000. Now suddenly the Avalanche have 200 k left in cap space, meaning they don't even have enough cap space to carry a 23rd roster player. Which is kind of crazy. Uh, but I mean, they, they barely ever carried 23 last year because Loveland is right up the road. They can carry 21. It's not a huge deal. Regardless, what I'm basically saying is that extra two or three million of cap space that would have likely happened if the season you know ended as normal and the NHL made the money they should have made, uh, that would have probably been the difference of being able to go out and bring in a Wayne Simmons or a Patrick Maroon or whoever it may be. Um, but they, they never had that. But at the same time, Sackick was still able to do what exactly what I just said and work up to the salary cap. We knew the Avalanche had space. 
We knew they can go out and make some deals. We knew they can go out and acquire some players, which they did. A $5 million Brandon Saad and a $4.1 million Devon Taves. That's a lot of money. And all they pushed out was Zadorov making three-something. But what I'm very much relieved about and happy to see is that Kroenke didn't tell Joe to operate, like we were saying months ago, with an, with an internal cap. He gave him the ability to work right up to that cap ceiling, uh, which, you know, it would have been short-sighted for him to give him an internal cap because like we said months ago, we said, you may as well take advantage of this, put a lot of money into the roster and say, let's go win a cup because now you have one of the best teams in the NHL and you just added Saad and Taves to it. So definitely Sakic has to work a little bit differently, um, but how much differently, I don't know. But what I do know is with what hand he was dealt, he's done an exceptional job. And luckily for the Avalanche sake, the biggest ticket item, right, that's Nathan McKinnon. By the time he's up and I think it's 23-24, all this should be completely recovered and back to normal, so to speak. And they won't even and have Johnson to. will be up by then and Graves will be up. by. There's there's plenty of, plenty of cap space, you know, and plenty of money to give to McKinnon by that point. Absolutely. Uh, let's take a quick break and talk about DraftKings, guys, because this is the season for giving. As we know, it's American Thanksgiving this week, guys. I like to say American Thanksgiving because, you know, we got to distinguish here on, on the Hockey Mountain High podcast. But to celebrate the start of the most joyous time of the year, DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all players the opportunity to cash in on a no-brainer this Thanksgiving. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to double your money if either Baltimore or Pittsburgh score a touchdown in Thursday night's game. All it takes for you to double your money is one touchdown yes you heard it right all you have to do is opt in to the promotion place your bet and then sit back and watch the ball enter the end zone easy as pie on top of that great offer DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new players a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 still that same great offer that they always have and the holiday holiday season is a time for family so curl up on your couch with your favorite sports book and make it rain DraftKings is safe reliable and secure making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience so Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you the chance to double your money if either Pittsburgh or Baltimore scores a touchdown in Thursday night's game. That's right. All it takes is one touchdown and you double your money when you use promo code MHS during sign-up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, but bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus, bonus Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I'm tripping over my words a little bit because one touchdown from either Pittsburgh or Baltimore, I'm willing to take that bet. Pittsburgh is 10-0 and and they're looking mighty fine. So that's easy money for you, me, and everybody. Yep. Everybody's got to hop in on that one. That's a, like they said, a no-brainer. Uh, I think another no-brainer. You know, we're a little late to this, but I wasn't about to record a podcast strictly about jerseys. But I think the no-brainer oh, is up. that we can all agree that I think the Avalanche won the reverse retro jersey contest. It's such a beautiful jersey, and I'm excited to see it with the full the full attire, the the, the pants, the, the numbers on the back. The numbers on the back are likely going to be blue, matching the pants, which is going to match the gloves, which the helmet might be white, might be blue, who the hell knows, but that is just a beautiful, beautiful jersey. Even Quebec and, and, and Nordiques fans are loving it. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like a slap in the face because this is a team that has always gone back to Quebec when they can. They did it for a couple preseason games. They've had Forsberg and Sackick and Foot wearing the Nordique jersey and raising their sticks after an Avalanche preseason game. They went back with the, with Patrick Waugh in 2014 to the uh, the Pepsi Coliseum and the, or the Videotron, the new arena out there. Um, so the Avalanche are doing their part to try to get the Nordiques a team back, and I think this is another push in that direction. This is a beautiful jersey with the Avalanche colors. It's a beautiful remix of the old and the new. It's the whole reverse retro thing. Uh, and it's they, they, they absolutely killed it. That that maroon, that avalanche burgundy just looks beautiful with the Nordiques logo. Yeah, at first glance, I thought the jersey as a whole was a little bit plain, but then after going back and looking at some old Nordiques jerseys, they kind of matched it beautifully, and I think that's what yeah. they had to do, right? They had to respect the old jersey and make it almost almost identical to that. And plus, I like the, the a lot of white on the jersey because it is Colorado, and they are the avalanche. Let's stick with the snow theme mm-hmm. here, right? 
Um, but I also really liked um, how we got to see after a few days the heat map of all the uh, sales ar- around the yeah. world of where those jerseys were being ordered from. So that was that was pretty cool. It's just fascinating to me how people talk about the Avalanche's retro jersey the same way they talk about the Avalanche in terms of their team and the quality of players and develop, uh, that they've developed over the years. Because when you look at the reverse retro, everybody that talks about it, it's like, okay, besides the Avs' Nordique jersey, which one's your favorite? And when you talk about the Avalanche this season, everybody always says, okay, besides Joe Sackick and what he's done, who's had the best summer? And it just it's fascinating to me that the team at the top has created this beautiful it's just it's one of those things where when things go good, everything just follows. And then you have the Red Wings who are just a total shit show right now. Just a terrible oh, team. Uh no one knows what the hell they're doing. Well, you know, Steve Eisman has kind of brought them back on track, but they're a terrible team coming off a terrible season and they released a practice jersey. And it's yep. it's hilarious how it works. It's Ottawa with Duchesne. They acquired Duchesne. They started losing a bunch of games and the taxi cap thing happened and the Duchesne trade happened and the Carlson trade and the Hoffman trade and all these things that it's it's so hilarious how how it always goes when you have some good some good things happening it just sort of that continues when to it build. rains it pours and and the avalanche it's raining and it's pouring but in the right direction and the jersey was just another piece of that it just seems like they can't do anything wrong at this point i know one thing i do kind of have some beef with though and i did see some people on twitter kind of raising this point as well is yeah the jerseys are great how awesome would it be to get so many fans to wear them but Damn, they're two hundred and fifty dollars. Could we talk about the price of an NHL jersey really quick? If we're trying to be more inclusive and try to get more people to love the game, I mean, it's kind of the same argument I always say with hockey gear, right? You can't have a stick be three hundred dollars and and ha- hope that all of America owns a hockey stick in their garage like they did in the nineties. Yep, that's one of those uh, exclusivity things of the sport that just bother me is the fact that. It's so expensive to play. It's so expensive to get into. It's so expensive to buy a jersey. It's so expensive to buy the gear. Compare even compared to other sports, which is, which is what's upsetting because, hockey is by far the least popular sport, and it's the least in terms of ticket gate prices. Even though ticket gate drives this league, uh, it's it costs a lot less to go to a Avalanche game than it does a Broncos game. I'll tell you that much. It costs a hell of a lot less to go to a Red Wings game than it does a Lions game, even though they both suck. I. Uh, so the fact that it costs that much to buy a jersey, and I was looking at the, I mean, the Avalanche are doing the same exact thing with their jerseys. Whatever they charge for a regular home and away and a regular third is what they're going to charge for this new Nordiques reverse retro. There's other teams charging close to $300 for their reverse retro, and that is just, it's it's such a gutless, disgusting move. And I, I know some of these owners are like, let's capitalize on this, but relax. Yeah, it's a crime. I, I hate it. It sucks. And like I said, it's just disappointing that it's it's boxing people out. That's what it's really doing the most effect to. Yeah, it's bringing yeah. in some revenue, but it's also boxing out potential fans and potential clientele. But what I will say is the entire reverse retro thing, I think, was a big hit. I think it's a big hit. And, you know, sure. you have the Red Wings. They obviously, yeah, they released pretty much what looks like a practice jersey. The Islanders, who didn't do anything different because Lou is their GM and Lou is never going to let you do anything. Uh, everybody wanted the Fisherman. Uh, but you look at some of those jerseys, man, they're beautiful. The Coyotes one is beautiful. The uh, What's the other purple one? The, the LA Kings took the old Gretzky jersey and turned it purple. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. I love the Anaheim Mighty Ducks going back to their roots, even though they might people might think it's an ugly logo but they once were disney they once were a team that was started because of a disney movie they got away from that but that's your retro so they went back to that i love the san jose sharks that gray classic from like 2004 the pre-joe thornton era it screams to me uh nico dimitrakos and vincent damfus and evgeny uh nabakov uh then you have Ottawa's jersey, that red one is a beautiful jersey. That one screams Radic Bonk to me. That one screams Daniel Alfredson. Just so many beautiful. I love that red one. I think that one might be my favorite aside from the Avalanche. The the Ottawa and the Rangers, I think. The Rangers. The Rangers also goes back to the Gretzky era. The Blues one goes back to Gretzky, but in red. The Capitals goes back to that rookie Ovechkin year, but in red. They're just a lot of teams really hit this out of the park. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy to see it. The the Penguins, uh, the Penguins brought back a white version of that Pittsburgh you know, thing that they had in the Mario Lemieux days, or um, the Mark Eaton and you know their shitty 0304 teams. But uh, 
it's just great to see them. It's it's great to see that the NHL is finally breaking out of their shell of having more jerseys and having these unique designs. I don't know what the hell the Dallas Stars are doing with their white Power Rangers jersey, but you know what? They just released a great third jersey, so it's okay. Hey, you're not going to hit on all of them, right? What I appreciate yeah. is the fact that they're willing to go in a different direction. And we saw the same thing with the Colorado Avalanche. They announced that they're going to suddenly get away from those black helmets, black breezers, black yes, gloves, yes, yes, and yes. they're moving on to the blues. And that's now yep. it makes a little more sense why Nathan McKinnon straight up said new colors crazy. Not even that, oh, here's some experimental colors that are coming in with this new retro jersey. No, these are straight up the new colors. Yeah, and he, he posted the gloves, Ranton, and posted a video of him wearing blue ble- blue breezers, uh, the, 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 the hockey pants. Uh, the funny thing is when they released those, we thought that was related to the Nordiques jersey and the fourth the fourth jersey and the reverse retro. It turns out that this was going to be the new home and away. I am a little curious how it's going to look on that white jersey. I've seen some like uh, mock-ups of what it's going to look like, especially if they wear a blue helmet on a white jersey. I don't know if the NHL is going to even allow that. I no, like I think they'll still white. go white. Yeah, even, but in the press release that I got from the Avalanche, I've reread it many times to double check. They said we're going to wear blue pants, gloves, and helmets with the home and the away jerseys. And I'm I'm a little confused by that. But I don't think they're going to end up wearing blue helmets on the white jersey. I don't even think the NHL is going to allow that. Because yeah. the road team, the home team always comes, is always wearing a dark helmet. Um, I personally would have loved to see the Avalanche wear burgundy breezers and burgundy gloves with the white jersey. Because you have that burgundy going on the bottom. And I saw someone Photoshop it on, on Nathan McKinnon. And it just looked absolutely beautiful. You can't win them all. I like that they're getting away from it. I like that they're sort of building this new identity with the old logo, with the old mountain jersey that came back in 2017 with Adidas. Uh, I think it's going to look great, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see this new team wearing this new colored jersey and you know, possibly winning one or two or three cups with it and building a new legacy different from the one of the Patrick Waugh, Peter Forsberg, and Joe Sackick era. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's so easy for teams just to go with the black and white, but... Lately, you've seen more teams kind of expand from that. You know, you've got Vancouver that rocks those blue helmets that look really good. Even Edmonton wears a navy helmet. So I just like teams getting away from the the plain black. Yeah, Nashville went to that goldish mm-hmm. mustard thing that also looked beautiful. Yeah, so I'm all for it. I like it. I, I don't care if it looks terrible like the stars do. I just want some change. I want some creativity. Yeah. I want what I make make use what of, I, what of I technology, love. man. Like it's 2020. Yeah, and what I. What I love about the Stars jersey is they released this third jersey that everybody loved. It was like this super dark night jersey with like Radulov wearing his tinted black visor with this all black jersey and this, you know, monster energy green color that like lights up in the dark. And then they did the exact opposite for the reverse retro and went fully white. And I love it. Uh, you know, I, I, I made a joke about it, but I'm excited to see it. It's it's going to look different, and I, I just want to see different in the sport. I want to see progression. I want to see the NHL be more progressive with things like this. Maybe, you know, sell the jersey for like 140 bucks would be cool. But, yeah, no, I'm I'm all for it. I, I love it. I think the NHL did an exceptional job with the reverse retro. I love that the Avalanche are changing their colors. I honestly think a lot of this has been led by goaltending because in the last three or four years, especially since those Bauer pads came out and you can really just print anything you want onto them, Goalies have been getting really creative um, and really just, I guess, out there with their pad designs. And, and, you know, I think that more things are to follow. I know you can get cool little decals on skates. I think skates might start looking a little bit unique and a little bit original to each player. And hopefully, you know, it just doesn't stop here at the breezers and gloves and helmet. Yeah, and and I, I love over the last, this has become more and more of a thing over the last decade or so, but seeing all these Instagram artists that suddenly become famous because an NHL goalie reaches out to them and says, hey, make my helmet. I used to think it was so cool. Like when the Avalanche got Varlamov at that, that summer in 2011, three weeks later, this random ass Instagram artist at the time said, hey, here's Varley's new helmet for the season. You know, pleasure working with you. And uh, that's what I love. I love seeing that creativity. I love Vasilevsky just, you know, unveiled his new helmet for next season wearing, uh, you know, his, his obviously the blue lightning helmet, but on the side of it, he has a picture of himself holding the Stanley Cup. He had his day with the cup yesterday in Tampa. Uh, so it's just, it's cool to see these. Lundqvist already has his gear with the Capitals. Um, so yeah, that really has been probably the turning point for the NHL and seeing that there is creativity that you can have and it's 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 only better it's only good to see more creativity and more personality. Yeah. Absolutely. So on that note, as we mentioned, this week is Thanksgiving week, American Thanksgiving that is. So as a little 
attempt to be creative and reach out there and fill some more time on an off-season podcast. We're going to talk about what we think Avalanche players are most thankful for this year, Thanksgiving. Now, we cross-referenced. We do have one that's similar, so we're going to start with that. I'm going to start. Oh, man. And that's You told them we cross-referenced. We cross-referenced. Well, we had to. We had to. We got to pull the curtain back because if not, what if we had the same four players and you, then you it wouldn't have been basically, You just basically admitted that we broke kayfabe. That's unfortunate. It's all right. It's all right. The, our, our audience deserves it. <laughs> they, they deserve it from us. They deserve the curtain being pulled back. So that being said, Thanksgiving, Eric Johnson. For starters, I'd like to think he would be the host of a Thanksgiving, right? I can see him having oh, his absolutely. apron on. He makes the stuffing, and he thinks he just has the world's greatest stuffing. Everybody thinks it's mediocre because, let's be honest, stuffing is just mediocre. And <laughs> I think he's most thankful for this second offseason because he's getting a chance to heal. He's going to come back at 100%, I really feel, and we're going to see a different EJ than we saw in the playoffs. We heard from Mike Chambers that he had a, a buddy that saw Eric Johnson golfing, and he wasn't wearing a boot. He didn't have a limp, so everything was looking good at uh, on that front. Um, so, again, I think this offseason is going to be great for Eric Johnson, and he's going to come back super strong once we do come back. And, I mean, you know, we, we've beat this dead horse over and over again during that Dallas Stars series, but we saw just how important Johnson was to this lineup because as soon as he went down – there was, this is why Zadorov is no longer an av. He was unable to step up and be a top four defenseman. Ian Cole is sort of past that phase in his career for him to step in and be a top four, which again, they had to turn to Connor Timmins. Regardless of that, I also think that EJ is thankful. Not for the same reason you have, but Eric Johnson is thankful because of the reinforcements that the Avalanche have now. Because of the acquisition of Devon Taves, because of the growth of Ryan Graves, because of the growth of Kale McCarr into, an, into a no-doubt absolutely guaranteed number one defenseman because of the growth of Sam Girard. It's because that Eric Johnson, after this long break, after being able to heal and really come in guns blazing, can have a chance to win a Stanley Cup and not have to play 25 minutes a night, can conserve his energy, can preserve that energy for the playoffs, can can play less, can be an effective player with limited minutes to make sure that he doesn't retire at 33, 34 years old because he seems to be on that track of just being one of those older players that injuries catch up to him. He's not going to be a Patrick Marlowe playing 15, 1600 games. He's likely going to retire a lot earlier than that. So I think Eric Johnson is very much thankful that he's no longer playing on the top pair, you know, dragging guys like Boschman and Jan Haida. He is now someone that the Avalanche can use as a complimentary player and a damn good one at that. Gets a lot of the weight off his shoulders, but still gets to enjoy a lot of the ride, right? And still take part and have a hand in it. I like exactly. that. I like that. My next guy yeah. is Gabe Landeskog, and I think he's thankful for modern dentistry because without it, he would have ruined that beautiful face that everybody knows and loves with that chipped tooth. Did he chip it or did he lose it? I forget. Um, but nobody wants to see Gabe Landeskog ruin that beautiful mug. I think he got a shoulder or something. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't. It didn't look like him. When Ryan O'Reilly used to have that tooth out and Paul Stassi used to have it, it looked like them. Gabe Landeskog is just this beautiful human that you just – I'm glad he got it fixed because he's just – he he needs to have those teeth and he needs to be the full Gabe effect. And the full Gabe effect is dreamy and needs to have all of his teeth. My next one, that brings me to Brandon Saad, the latest acquisition of the Avalanche. He's only 27 years old. He's already won two Stanley Cups. He's been traded three times, all three trades involving the Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks have lost the trade every single time. Sorry, that had nothing to do with why he's thankful. It's just funny to say that. Brandon Saad is thankful because he gets another chance at the Cup. He's leaving the Blackhawks just as they become a crummy team after joining them and winning two Stanley Cups with them. He's leaving the Blackhawks after they become a crummy team to join another team that is great, that is going to utilize him to his full potential and potentially win a third Stanley Cup. And on top of that, doing it in a contract year rather than toiling in Chicago and coming out asking other teams, hey, can you sign me? I just came off of another season with a bad team. Rather than that, he's going to play with the Cadres and McKinnons of the world, really inflate his statistics, potentially have a great Stanley Cup, potentially win a third Stanley Cup. Uh... And, and cash in in the summer, whether it's with the Avalanche or otherwise. I think Brandon Saad is thankful that he is a Colorado Avalanche. I like that. I think Colorado is probably maybe the best spot there. He could have reinvigorated his career, exactly. right? I mean, he was he was at a turning point where it was like, all right, it's either all downhill from here or 
I can continue to improve and continue before I start to plateau here. So, um, yeah, I like that one. I like Brandon Saad. Um, my next one goes to Philip Grubauer. I think Philip Grubauer is thankful, secretly, low-key. He's not going to say this at the kitchen table, but I think he's thankful that Francis wasn't able to get it done there in the playoffs because yeah. he didn't get his job stolen. I mean, for a while there, Francis was really the, the talk of the town. I mean, right before he signed his contract, we were a little bit nervous that maybe he made it all the way to the offseason and somebody scooped him up from the avalanche. He was really looking good. Had he come in and stolen the show, I think right now we'd be talking about Pavel Francouz should be the starter rather than Grubauer. But luckily for Grubauer, Grubauer safe. And as a goalie, I'll tell you, you're always cheering for your goalie partner, of course, but you don't want him to do too well to where you know suddenly you're losing minutes. So there's always a, a dark, a mm-hmm. sinister part of goaltenders that just doesn't want too much success for their goaltender partner. So that's why I think yeah, I Grubauer's mean- silently thankful. Yeah, we just saw what happened with Flurry and Leonard in that whole awkward situation. So I definitely agree with that. I think I think there is something to be said about the fact that Grubauer and Francois both had some of the, you know, I think top 10 in, in save percentage this year and both had really great seasons. I know injuries kind of derailed it in the playoffs and Francois came out and said he was injured before he was taken out of the lineup. So there was something ailing Francois as well. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I know we just spent all summer talking about the avalanche going out and acquiring another goaltender to shore up the depth to maybe bring in a winner, like a Corey Crawford or whatever it may be. But let's not forget that Francis and Grubauer did have great seasons. Let's not forget that in 2019, Grubauer had an exceptional playoff run against the Calgary flames and the San Jose sharks. Um, I think we're making a lot out of this idea that the avalanche don't have what it takes in that goaltending position. And understandably so, it's because of the injuries. If they can't stay healthy, what the hell does it matter how good they are? So maybe maybe the Avalanche can get some good omen and finally have some healthy goaltending. But I completely agree. I think Grubauer needs to come out big time this season because the difference between a good contract and a bad contract and a flat salary cap literally is one season. If you're going to fall off the rails and you're going to end up like Jimmy Howard, you're going to be a free agent late into the offseason but if you have a career year this year you can be the jacob markstrom of next year's class and get a big deal whether from the abs or from someone else so i definitely like that one i think that's a good choice which brings me to my next choice based off of salary cap my next choice is tyson jost and i say that tyson jost is thankful because the avalanche did not have the cap space to do anything more than bring in brandon Saad and devon taves Devontae's as a defenseman doesn't affect Tyson Jost in the lineup. Brandon Saad coming in is going to take the spot of Nemesnikov in that middle six, which likely will be the second line. Uh, everything else stays the same. Comfort is there. Uh, Donskoy is there. Nichushkin is back. However, on the fourth line, rather than going out and signing a Wayne Simmons, rather than going out and bringing in another big guy for $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, the Avs just ran out of money, like I was saying. So now Tyson Jost is likely guaranteed that 12th forward spot alongside Belmar and Calvert taking over the new Matt Nieto role, which I think he'll thrive in. Uh, his competition is going to be Logan O'Connor, and that seems a hell of a lot easier than having to compete with an Amesnikov or with a Wayne Simmons or with a Patrick Maroon. So I think Tyson Jost, even though he's only going to make $874,000 this year before all of that other stuff gets taken out of it, is thankful the Avalanche had a flat cap to work with and did not have enough money to go out and bring in one more depth forward. I love it. I love it. Um, obviously, I love Tyson Jost. I think he loves being in Colorado, mainly because of how much potential this team has. I think secretly, if he was to move on to another team, he would find more happiness and kind of find a better role, but probably on a worse team. So um, I yeah. think that's why he loves being here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely my number three. Let's hear it for your last one. My last one is Nathan McKinnon, and he's thankful for his new Never PS5. Heard of him. <laughs> Not only because he's got this newfound love and hobby as a streamer, but he also can get on NHL and he can make the moves he he wants to make, right? He can get rid of the teammates he doesn't want to skate with and he can bring in whoever he wants. I bet you he's having a ball having this second offseason, nothing but time on his hands, not looking to go out in public too often. I bet you he's got a new PS5 and he's loving it. I bet you he's playing be a GM mode and he got a trade offer for Taylor Hall and said, nah, son, I don't need him. 
no, I, I definitely like that one. That's a that's a great offseason pick because McKinnon is bored. He wants to be playing hockey, and, and, and what better way to spend your time in November and December when you're usually lighting up the lamp than to be playing PS5, uh, which brings me to my last one. Nathan McKinnon is actually part of my last one, but it's not just him. It's the entire team. The entire team, the entire organization, that includes your coach, that includes your GM, and that includes everybody because of the new division formats that the NHL is likely going to have to play with this year because of the pandemic. We're going to have an all-Canadian division, and then one of the divisions, you know, courtesy of Greg Wyshynski, that the Avalanche are going to probably have to play with involves the Avs being in a Western division. That includes the three San Jose teams, the three San Jose teams, the three California teams. Man, even I'm in offseason mode. So that's Anaheim, San Jose, and LA. That includes Arizona. That includes, I believe, Vegas. And I feel like Man, I'm Minnesota missing. and Dallas. Minnesota and Dallas. Thank you. Thanks for saving me so that it's not obvious that I don't have it pulled up and ready to go. So if you're the Avalanche, you're very thankful because you're going to play in a division that includes the three California teams, which are likely a wash. LA is not getting better this year. San Jose might rebound, but to how much and how much of an extent, who knows? Anaheim is not getting any better yet. Then you have Arizona, which is a total shit show of an organization right now. You have Minnesota, which is just no one knows what they're doing. Then you have Vegas and Dallas. Those were the two best teams in the Western Conference last year. The two teams that played in the playoffs. Dallas has a lot of injuries. They have Bishop and they have Sagan out for four to five months as of a month ago. A month ago, So they're going to miss the early portion of the season. And then you have Dallas did not bring back Corey Perry. Dallas is dealing with the fact that they're an older team and sort of probably going to fall off a lot harder than people think. Or they're just going to completely catch us by surprise again. And that leaves Vegas. The Avalanche are going to play in a division where likely their only competition on a nightly uh, nightly basis is the Vegas Golden Knights. And I don't know about you, but I still don't think that the Golden Knights are as good as people make them out to be. They acquired Petrangelo, yes. He's going to make $8.8 million, yes. But you you brought in an $8.8 million Petrangelo and got rid of a $4.6 million Nate Schmidt. I don't think he's $4 million better than Nate Schmidt. And then you took that $4 million away from your offense— the only reason why Vegas lost to Dallas in the playoffs was because they couldn't score on a backup goalie. And then they traded Paul Stastny for, for nothing so that they can make the cap space to bring in Petrangelo. They don't really have much going on in that center position. Cody Glass may or may not break out as a rookie, but it just seems like they're putting too much stock into Petrangelo as a 31-year-old when the season starts. Uh, I don't know why. But they don't have any game breakers. And we just saw the Blues win a Stanley Cup without game breakers, coincidentally with Petrangelo as their captain. But I just think the Avalanche are set up in such a good position with this division that they are going to be very thankful to be playing in a division where on a nightly basis, you're going to play a lot of Anaheim and San Jose and LA and Arizona and Minnesota. That's five garbage teams right there. And then maybe a Dallas that drops off and a Vegas that's obviously going to be a contender, but not to the Avalanche's level. The Avs are thankful. No St. Louis, no Nashville, uh, no Winnipeg. They're going to play easy teams and likely breeze through this 60 game regular season. That's my number four. Not, don't forget to point out the obvious. When you're spending that much time in California and Arizona, that is sunshine on your skin. Yes. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, I did have a, uh, three stars, but they're kind of pointless and was just going to drag on a, an already pretty long episode. I think we're, we're at a, a good place here. So one thing I did... I, th- I like I like that you thought of that real quick. I like that you thought of that. That's the exact kind of off-season contact that, content that people yearn for is hocus pocus bullshit like that so that was a that was a fun segment and i think people are gonna good i'm glad you enjoyed it at least that's that's all that matters because while the people on twitter can come and yell at us if i'm not making you happy then this is just a weird and awkward conversation right so i'm glad the smiles (laughs) on your face but one last thing i did want to talk about um before we got out of here was mile high sports recently published their 200th edition of the magazine and in that magazine is a feature yes. on Avs GM Joe Sackick as he's one of Colorado's biggest sports figures. I figured it was either going to be Joe Sackick or John Elway. I'm really happy they chose Joe Sackick. Go and read that. It was written by Terry Fry. A nice little one-on-one intimate interview that Terry had with Joe. Really fascinating. Really interesting. Thought-provoking. And I learned some stuff about Joe Sackick that I didn't previously know. So make sure to check that yeah. out. It's online. It's a... Uh, you know, you can find magazines kind of scattered throughout the city if you're in Denver. I know Terry Fry has it published on his website. 
Yeah, I went and picked up the magazine yesterday from the Mile High Sports Studio. It's a beautiful, beautiful magazine. The cover looks amazing. Joe is just a stunning man, and it's a great article. Uh, I'm going to do the plug that you didn't do because maybe I care about your show more than you do, but you, you guys did speak with Terry Fry on the show, you and Ryan Bolding, and that was a great interview to listen to. Uh, Terry Fry gave a lot of insight on on how that came together. I got to talk to Nate Lundy on how they got Joe Sackick, and it's just a fascinating story. That's worth a listen. The article is worth a read. Uh, the Avalanche are fortunate to have Joe Sackick, man. This guy's not going anywhere, and 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 he's really done a lot of great things. And it's really, really nice to hear uh, just how far he's come as a general manager and how much he truly cares about this franchise. Yeah, absolutely. So check it out. Um, it's an interesting read. You won't regret it. But yeah, other than that, I have nothing uh, left to say. You got anything else before we wrap it up here? That's all for me. I'm, you know, eventually going to start a uh, your go to Denver Broncos podcast if we don't get <laughs> hockey soon enough. Uh, today was the edition of your go to Nordiques podcast. Uh, please, God, hockey save me because I'm sick of Wikipedia researching and Google researching how bad Drew St- Drew Locke is in the in the first half of his games, even though they beat the yeah. Dolphins today somehow. We need it. We need I, hockey I, bad. I need Things hockey. are getting ugly. Yeah, it's it's I getting bad. It. I can't wish the world juniors. Just anything. Just get my mind off of football, please. God. <laughs> That's it for me, though. <laughs> hey, college hockey's starting right around the corner. I think they got Mi- pods. Michi- Michigan, Michigan's looking good. I mean, they've already begun, and they're looking damn good. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that one. I'm hopping on the DU bandwagon, even though I've always been on a DU. Uh, you know, I've been a, a loose DU fan. I, I always hate how little respect they get in this town so i'm gonna start giving them some more they're respect such a damn good team go piles they're such a damn good team i mean michigan is usually hit or miss you know they'll have the comfers and the kyle connors and the zach Renskis and the quinn hughes and then they'll have a couple bad seasons now this year they have a pretty damn good team they have maddie Beniers, who's their fourth line centerman who's a freshman who's probably going to get drafted top 10 this year and there's another name that if you don't know it learn it it's owen power First of all, that is the coolest goddamn name the NHL is ever going to see. Owen Power. He's a six foot five, two hundred and fourteen pound defenseman who turned eighteen years old today. So he played the first four games of the regular season as a seventeen year old rookie freshman in college hockey and had a goal and two assists in his first game. And then they just mopped the floor with Wisconsin, coached by Tony Granato. Michigan looks great. Learn the name Owen Power. Uh, go blue and uh, watch college hockey because we actually have that to watch right now. Yeah, so uh, I guess that being said, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. For Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.